Welcome to the CUNY Lecture Series. In this edition, advice from the UN chief to the youth. Rise up. Young people can agitate against injustice better than the leader of the United Nations, or so he says. I, as Secretary General, have constraints sometimes, political constraints. But young people, you don't have a limit. Ban Ki-moon says this to an audience at Lehman College. Lehman was home to the UN for five months in 1946. Bond leaves young people with this advice. You just raise your voice. We need you to rise up for civil rights, for social justice, for equal opportunity and fair play here in the United States and beyond. Dr. Ricardo Al Fernandez, a president of Herbert H. Lehman College. Dr. Annie Morobel Sosa, provost of Lehman College. Dr. Mary Pearl, interim dean for the Macaulay Honors College of the City University of New York, Dr. Una Clark, trustee of the City University of New York, distinguished faculty members, distinguished guests, dear students, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great honor for me to deliver the 47th annual Herbert H. Lehman Memorial Lecture. It's a great to be in the Bronx. I have only one regret. The Yankees are still in Florida uh, for <laughs> spring training. With, with or without baseball, the Bronx is an amazing destination, once a symbol of urban uh, neglect. The borough today is in the midst of resurgence. Uh, from new restaurants on Arthur Avenue to tech startups and green businesses, the Bronx is on the move. I'm energized by that strong community spirit. I admire the tolerance that has seen so many waves of immigrants find here in the Bronx, a haven and a home. One person who found a home in the Bronx was my predecessor, Utant, former Secretary General, who lived in Riverdale during his years as Secretary General. At that time, there was no official residence as I am now having. Wave Hill House was the residence of Gladin Jepp, uh, who served as acting Secretary General in the organization's earliest days. Here at Lehman College, I had the privilege of ringing the peace bell a short while ago, which was introduced by the president. I thank Mr. Yong Lee for his generosity in making this addition to your campus possible. Your bell was inspired by World Peace Bell Park in Korea. It is also very similar to the Japanese Peace Bell at UN headquarters in Manhattan. We ring that every year on September 21st, the International Day of Peace, to sound the call for global harmony and nonviolence. This is yet another symbol of the historic bonds between Lehman College and the United Nations. For five months in 1946, years before the United Nations 
moved into its own headquarters. This campus was our home. Again, as was... <clears throat> Yesterday, I received a brochure from this college showing all historical pictures, photographs. That was inspiring for me. It was here that diplomats and staff came together to help the world recover in the immediate aftermath of Second World War and move towards a future of progress and peace. But our ties with the Lehman College go beyond buildings and conference rooms. Robert Lehman himself helped to set the tone of the new organization. As head of the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, UNRRA, in the 1940s, even before United Nations was born, he oversaw efforts to provide life-saving assistance uh, to millions of people. I think the UN High Commissioner for Refugees should be this uh, successor organization. Uh, today at UN headquarters, there is a great deal of art on display, but very few, very few people's portraits uh, on this display in the United Nations. Because once we have individuals' portraits displayed in the United Nations headquarters, there will be thousands of people who want their portrait to be displayed. <laughs> there are eight secretaries generals, including myself, and their portraits. And Nelson Mandela, or Gandhi, you, you name very few, very few. But among them is a painting, portrait of Herbert Lehman. You may come, I'll invite you to see it. This portrait is viewed and visited by thousands, many thousand people every day, every day. I saw it yesterday again. Much has changed since Lehman made his mark on the world. But he would recognize some features of our global landscape. Uh, today's conflicts and persecution have forced 60 million people, 60 million people, half of them children and women, to flee their homes. This is more than at any time the largest number of people displaced and refugees since the end of Second World War. Lehman would understand also the urgency of the organization's mission of peace, development, and human rights. As a senator and governor, he campaigned against injustice and defended the rights of immigrants. Today, refugees, migrants, and minorities across the world face a rising hatred Inequality is driving people farther apart. Women and girls face appalling violence and discrimination. I want to talk to you today about what the United Nations is doing to address 
these challenges and about the role you can and must play in carrying forward Liman's spirit and in helping to build lives of dignity for all the people around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, let me start with the Lehman College itself. Yours is a wonderfully diverse community. You have students from all around the world. I heard that more than 80 some countries, you find people and students here. Contributing experiences and ideas from different perspectives and different cultures and traditions. Education at Lehman College has been a gateway to a better life for many thousands of people. Many immigrant families know the sacrifices your loved ones have made, including for those of you who are the first in your family to go to college. Many of you may have a special window of understanding on the plights of those escaping from insecurity, inequality, and injustice, and bigotry that they often face. You have all seen the heartbreaking images of people perishing at sea uh, during perilous escapes from conflict. You have heard the stories of those left stranded in the desert by ruthless human traffickers. These are people no different than you and me. Many have lost everything they have, homes, jobs, loved ones, and they have no choice but to flee to an uncertain future. Many others are seeking better lives because of discrimination, grinding poverty, or the brutality of drug cartels and criminal gangs. My own family was forced to flee our village, like Professor Kim. He's much, much senior to me. But I was six years old when Korean War broke out in 1950. I didn't know much about, but it was very difficult. What I felt, what I saw was a difficulty. It was my grandparents, my parents, who had to run here and there to bring something to feed their children. The United Nations brought us food, medicine, and textbooks. UNICEF, UNESCO, and, all, and also 21 countries have sent their troops. Those include five countries who have sent some medical uh, hospitals and all humanitarian assistance. They saved Korean people and the country from the brinks of collapse. The United Nations was our lifeline. It's a blue flag. United Nations flag was a beacon of hope for all the Korean people. That flag, which you see here, is still the beacon of hope to millions of millions of people around the world. Whenever I travel, whenever I saw those young people or women, a vulnerable group of people 
who without United Nations assistance would be living in a very terribly difficult situation. Then I am very much humbled when they still believe that United Nations flag is their hope, their beacon of hope. That really makes me humbled and motivates me. Always, every morning, when I get up, I think, what should I do? What can I do better or differently for those people? Thinking about my days in the 1950s. Today, the refugee crisis is showing no signs of lessening. The United Nations is calling for greater solidarity and compassion. We are emphasizing the need for all countries to help, including by granting asylum. And we are speaking out against the hate-filled rhetoric and discrimination against refugees and migrants, whether it comes from leaders, office seekers, ordinary citizens, or the media. In an interconnected world like this, we need to build bridges, not walls, or barriers. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, these large-scale movements is unprecedented in the history. And these movements are signs of deeper, deeper problems, from conflict to a lack of jobs, and disillusionment and frustration of people. The United Nations is working hard to address the root causes of these conflicts and the underlying drivers of extremism and terrorism. Today in Geneva, the United Nations Special Envoy and the mediators are pressing the parties to the Syrian conflict to engage in dialogue. Just the two days ago, March 15th, we marked the sixth year of Syrian conflict. During the last five, full five years, almost 300,000 people were killed, and millions of people left their countries, forced to flee. We have at least 4.5 million refugees now being hosted by the United Nations in different countries, Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, and North Iraq, and some Northern Africa. At least 13 million people most of the older people in Syria, they are affected. They need the daily assistance from the United Nations. That's why in May, I'm going to convene the first ever in the history of the United Nations World Humanitarian Summit meeting in Istanbul, Turkey. And I'm asking world leaders to come and show their political commitment and leadership. There are so many crises happening all around the, at this time, all at the same time. It's just untenable, uncontrollable. So we have to see how we can have a better, sustainable, predictable way of assisting and helping these people with life-saving assistance. We continue our efforts 
to resolve conflicts from Yemen to South Sudan, where civilians remain the primary targets and victims of atrocities and utter disregard for human rights. Other threats loom on the global landscape. For example, provocative acts and rhetorics by the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, including its recent nuclear test and ballist technology used missiles, are deeply troubling challenges to international peace and security. The Security Council has acted swiftly and decisively and firmly by imposing another sanctions. But sanction itself is not the end of, of resolving this issue. By imposing sanction, we are giving strong message to DPRK to abide by the norms of international community and become a normal citizen of this community. We are working to put in place the deeper foundation of peace and try to reduce the tension in the Korean Peninsula. Last year, despite global divisions over conflicts in Syria, Yemen, Ukraine, and elsewhere, world leaders came together to adopt an inspiring new development agenda, a 15-year blueprint for a better world. It's true that we are living in an era of peril and challenges and conflicts, but at the same time, world leaders, United Nations, are showing promises and hope to the people of the world. At the heart of this plan, there are 17 sustainable development goals which covers all spectrums of our life and of our planet, planet Earth. This means we are first trying to end poverty by 2030 and building inclusive societies on a healthy planet. We are trying to put our people, 7 billion, and our planet Earth onto a sustainable path. Women's empowerment is a threat running through all these 17 goals and has been a priority across my decade as a Secretary General of the United Nations. We cannot make the world better for all if we exclude half the population of this world. We must empower women. We often say half the sky. Half the sky, they are women. If we don't give more to women, at least we should give equal rights in political, social, economic field. <laughs> Thank you for your strong support and engagement. I will take it. I will take it. I hope you will also support me in ending violence against women and girls. They must be able to enjoy full their rights and realize their potential without any fear, 
That is our priority as a Secretary General of the United Nations. This week, now, currently, very important meeting is now taking place. Commission on the Status of Women. You see, we have more than 100 women ministers and at least 40, 50 vice ministers. I think this United Nations is full of world's distinguished world women leaders. I am very much energized and very much encouraged by their strong engagement and power and energy. This, I'm working for this. I'm also passionate about empowering world youth. Again, half the global population, at least 3.5 billion people, young people, they are under 25 years of age. That means our world is still very young. Our future stability and well-being depends on investing in and working with and working for these young people. That is why I appointed the United Nations Envoy on Youth. First ever, this is again first ever, to help connect the United Nations to young people. He is now trying to connect with the youth organizations with the United Nations. That is also why last month, the United Nations launched global initiative on decent jobs. And if we do not provide the decent jobs to young people and women, then this becomes a source of political instability. When the community is not happy with the leaders because of their lack of opportunities, jobs, or whatever, participations, then this clearly leads to political instability. Then political instability becomes very much difficult element for economic development. When there is no job, then people will be driven to the corner where they will find no other place to go. Then they become easily the prey of extremists and terrorists and drug or criminal, criminal organizations. That is why I'm urging world leaders to address all these root causes and provide enough and decent opportunities to young, young men. Young people can be at the center of also climate change. You are consumers who can demand sustainable products. You are innovators, particularly young students here, who can create energy, energy breakthroughs. You are voters who can elect leaders who do not deny the problems which we are having. You have legitimate right to challenge your leaders of this community. You can challenge your president, senators, congresspersons, business CEOs, and community leaders. Just tell them that this is my world where I will have to live with my children. Just make sure that this society becomes equal, just, justice. That's your legitimate right for young people. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there are many ways, many areas where academics, 
academic communities can also contribute. Climate change is also one of the area. It's not because you have many professors dealing with the science, but even just normal people, normal students, but you can teach and educate the students and the future leaders how they can contribute themselves to the development and better and prosperous future of this world. When it comes to climate change, it's a real. There were some skeptics, but their voices have been completely silenced with the adoption of Paris Agreement December last year. Sea levels are still rising. Unless we contain this global temperature rise below 2 degrees and, if possible, 1.5 degrees centigrade, by the end of this century, this world and these human beings will face a serious problem because of the sea level rising and temperature rising. We are seeing more floods, wildfires, and droughts. That means hunger will rise and economies will fail. Last December, in another sign of giving promise and vision, the world leaders adopt, adopted this Paris Agreement. Next month, on 22nd of April, I have invited world leaders again to the United Nations to sign this Paris Agreement so that it can become effective as soon as possible. President Fernandez, distinguished faculty members, dear students, ladies and gentlemen, I have been Secretary General of this great organization for almost 10 years. There is the one inescapable truth about all of the challenges we face. No single country, however powerful, however resourceful one may be, like the United States, or no single organization like the United Nations cannot do it alone. We have to work together. We have to build a strong uh, partnership. Over the years, United States has been a very generous contributor of humanitarian aid, development aid, and the leader in the fight against the hunger and terrorism and international peace and security. The country's economy and innovations have been engines of progress. Its embrace of diversity has inspired the world. I hope that the students, as emerging global citizens, will make the case for even stronger global engagement. In today's world, this globalized and transformed. The walls between the nations and international continue to fall away. The international interest and the national interest are increasingly one and the same. We need to work together towards new heights of international cooperation. I know it is easier, it's easier to exploit fears or to think that one can impose solutions on others, but these are not the solutions for 21st century. They are recipes for disaster.
During my time as a Secretary General, I have seen many inspiring examples of collective action that are taking the world in promising new directions. Not so long ago, <clears throat> there was widespread fear that Ebola virus would spread globally. But the United Nations and our non-governmental organizations pulled together and acted very quickly. Uh, today, the disease is under control, and the th three most affected West African countries have been declared Ebola-free. But we still have some Zika virus. There are many other diseases, tropical diseases, which we have to address. In Colombia, the longest conflict in the Americas is nearing its end as the government and opposition took the enlightened decision to settle their differences through dialogue. And in clinics, labs, and classrooms across the world, dedicated individuals are nurturing young lives and new ideas that will advance human well-being and enhance our shared future. Those who seek to divide often speak about, speak the loudest. That is one lesson I tell young global citizens who are here, all around the world. Again, please raise your voice. I, as a Secretary General, <clears throat> have some constraints sometimes, political constraints, to raise as high as I want to do. Even though I have a mandate, I have a moral authority, but still, sometimes I need to be uh, sensitive. But young people, you don't have a limit. <laughs> you just raise your voice. <clears throat> Please make good use of that freedom. We need you to rise up for civil rights, for social justice, for equal opportunity, and fair play here in the United States and beyond all around the world. As governor of New York, Herbert Lehman had the honor of opening the 1939 World's Fair. His words on that occasion still ring true today. I quote, the hopes and aspirations of America are in no way different from those of the rest of the world, unquote. All members of our human family want basic services, decent jobs, democrat democratic systems, human rights, and peace. When we unite to realize human progress for everyone, we can succeed, we can thrive. You are not here at Lehman College just for yourselves, but for our common future. I call all of you, I call on all of you to give back what you have now as a global citizen. Rise to the challenges of your generation and join forces with the United Nations to make this world better for all. And I thank you for your attention, and I count on your continuing engagement and strong commitment as a global citizen. I thank you very much for this opportunity.
You've been listening to the CUNY Lecture Series. For more, visit CUNY Radio online at cuny.edu slash radio. The CUNY Lecture Series is a production of the Office of University Relations.